second shot. Uh, and I promise this is not the second take. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we had, we're just starting to talk about um, my new MacBook Pro. And I think before we talked about last time we recorded how I was going to try to, I wasn't going to use the migration assistant or, or, or restore from a backup. I wanted a clean OS and I only want to install the applications that I think I'm, you know, that I really need. Um, my challenge was, is like, you know, all the homebrew stuff, all this stuff that, you know, you don't see in your applications folder, mm-hmm. application support stuff, stuff in your, in your library, you know, under your, yeah. um, under your user account, um, the Docker containers that, you know, they have running that don't have separate volumes that I've got to somehow you know, like save or export or whatever it is with Docker. So anyway, I got most of that stuff done. It was really ready to go. I was ready to switch over. Um, but I had noticed this one problem that was was kind of intermittent, and I didn't think much of it. But the problem was uh, sometimes when the computer goes to sleep, I'm telling the story again, it's, it's weird. I'm trying to tell you <laughs> as if I just didn't tell you this. Uh, but the computer would go to sleep, and sometimes you just couldn't get it to wake up. So the only thing you could do was power it down and then turn it back on again. Um, and so, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to use this thing. Now I need to figure this problem out. I thought it was some setting or whatever. So I thought, or oh, I'll just set, you know, reset PRAM. And usually that fixes those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So I tried that. Reset PRAM, reset SMC several times. Um, was still getting it. And I actually had to figure out, like, wh- why was this? Sometimes it would wake up and sometimes it wouldn't. And I finally, after just a series of different tests um, realize that if it the the variable is how long it's asleep so if it's asleep longer than 15 minutes or somewhere around there then it would not wake up uh and i spent a, probably a couple hours on the phone with apple support and the final thing they were like uh the you know the tech had me do is like well um the only final thing i can tell you to do is just you know wipe the wipe the hard drive and reload the operating system and try again and I'm like, well, okay, so I'm going to lose my 20 hours I've spent on <laughs> getting this thing ready. But I did it because that was I didn't have any other. Op- I mean, that was the last thing. I mean, the computer was worthless if I can't if I can't fix that problem anyway. So, so was it some thought at that point that it's a software issue? Yeah, maybe so. And he he said he had seen, uh, you know, other times when people had this problem, and the only thing that fixed it was reloading the OS. Mm. But so I did that, and it, it still didn't fix it, even with a you know reloaded brand new. You know, nothing else installed on it. Still the exact same problem. 15 minutes of sleep would not wake up. And they're like, yep, you're gonna have to send it back. I was like, okay. <laughs> so, uh, Doesn't like getting a nice brand new expensive machine that you now have to send back. I know. And man, that keyboard it's is a nice. good thing you still had your old one then. Yeah. I know. I just hope I still, I just hope I get the new one in time, the replacement in time that I can get this old one back in for the, that free keyboard fix. I want to have that re- keyboard replacement. Mm. But it expires four years after you bought the machine. And I don't even know when I bought this, but it was sometime almost four years ago because it was in 2016. Well, I, I hope it works out and <laughs> works good because uh, rumor, well, it's, it's becoming more and more of a rumor, less of a rumor and more of a confirmed thing that at the next conference, the WWDC, yep. they will be pushing developers to start making their applications ARM compatible. Oh, yeah. So we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. I have that on my list. Um, what else did I want to say about this? Oh, so one thing I learned, interesting. So you run Catalina, right? Mm-hmm. Have you noticed in your, uh, in like if you ever go to disk utility or look at your volumes that they're, it actually split what probably used to be your one partition into, into two? I haven't looked. Okay. So you make me look. Yeah, yeah, check it out. So there's a, they have a separate partition that just holds basically the operating system. 
okay. And then there's probably is there one called Data something Data? Because that's that's on so on a new machine you have a Macintosh HD and then you have Macintosh HD Data, and Data is by far the biggest partition. That's where all your that's where every, anything you add to it goes. The the non data partition is where the operating system uh, resides. It's got more. It's just got more security and protections on it, I guess. But what they don't tell you is, <laughs> so let me ask you this, John. If you wanted to, if you wanted to wipe that computer and, and reinstall the OS, mm-hmm. um, which of those, or none of those, or one of those, or both of those, would you would you wipe in order before you reloaded your OS? Which would I wipe? If, if yeah, so let's say you wanted, you know, you wanted to reformat your hard drive. Mm-hmm. And then install the OS. The question is, do you reformat, do you wipe and reformat both of those partitions? Or just one? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> so, so the answer is, you delete the data partition, that's the, like the user partition, and then you do an erase and format on the, that system partition. And then when you reinstall Catalina, that, well, it then creates your data partition again for you. <laughs> so, yeah, and that's I not, a, I don't think that's in documentation yeah. anywhere. I, I had to find that like in some Reddit I do see this. <laughs> so, uh, the, the things you learn when you're wasting your time trying to set up a new laptop. Yeah, no kidding. Um, seems like a nice machine, though. That bigger screen is is nice. That keyboard's really nice. That's you know they're fast. Unfortunately, I you know I guess it was a custom build I did, so I, they cu- I couldn't just go to a store and get one. Um, they have to make a new one for me in China or wherever they put these things together. But it's because I upgraded from 16 to 32 gig. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think I'm still running on 16. I don't think I need any more. Well, I'm. I feel like 16 is fine too. I mean, I do look and I don't know. Like my memory, my memory pressure stays pretty low, and I don't fully understand memory pressure. But my memory is pretty maxed out. But the but the pressure is low. I guess that means that there's stuff that it can, if it needs to, it can it can let go from memory. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I never get any. Of course, you know we have SSDs, so even our hard drives are memory. Um, they're solid state memory. So I, you know, because before, if you're if you're run out of memory, you know, you you could just hear your hard drive thrashing, right? <laughs> and everything slows down. But now our hard drives don't make any noise, and they are very very fast. So it's, I think it'd be hard to tell if I if if I was running out of memory. But I you know, I thought you know to myself, you know I, I mean just my my stupid mail program. I mean it it'll take two gig. My IDE I've got it set to take four gig, and it'll take it. Um, it's because they're all technically. I've got all these Docker. I've got all these Docker containers running, and Docker. You know, I've, I give a minimum of four. I'd like to give it eight gig of RAM. So I'm like, eh, I might as well just get thirty two. I mean, why not? It's like another couple hundred bucks, maybe. That's true. Because when I, I I don't run it as much as I used to, but when I was running my uh, VMware client to run Windows, I'd usually have both of them going at the same time. But I don't really have that much of that need anymore because I'm not really doing any .NET development and. I have a Docker for running SQL Server, so I just use that. Yeah, are you doing that? No. Yeah. Did was it difficult to get? Have you imported a like a SQL Server backup into it yet? No. That's, you have, that's you fun. have to do all the command line stuff. There is a plugin for IntelliJ that apparently will do it for you because I use the IntelliJ. Are you serious? I use the IntelliJ tooling to to look at the database. Oh yeah, I didn't think about that. It'll restore from a backup. Okay, because I still do the. No. You helped me with the first time I did that. Remember? Do you remember that? Like a, this is. A, a couple of years ago, yeah, but it's I, only recently that I started. I had to do, I had to restore from, and you know what's weird is in SQL Server, it just it's more verbose than like Postgres and MySQL. I don't know why, but and it, I don't know, it's just weird. But uh, yeah, just to get, it's kind of a fairly arcane like set of commands you have to run to get 
to get it imported. Yeah. Because I also have to, I think I had to, you, you, you have to, you have to import the, the backup, but then you also have to, you know, hard coded in those backups is actually the path, the full absolute path to the original locations of the log file and the data file. Well, those are wrong. They're not the same on my machine as the machine those came from. Mm -hmm. So before you can actually import, you have to like set those log file and data file locations to what's going to work on your machine. Right. And then you can actually accomplish the import or restore restoration, whatever it is. Yeah. I just read that there was a, I don't, I don't think it's enough. I don't know who made it, but there's a plugin that will work. I basically, you just use the, cause I have the ultimate version. So I have access to all the data tools. And which, I just I just connect that up to the Docker to my Docker, and I can access my SQL Server there, which means I can import files and things like that. Yeah. And I haven't restored one from backup, mm. but I did read that it was something I could do. There was a plugin that that'll do it. Interesting. Yeah, the, man, those doc, um, IntelliJ data tools are really nice. It takes a little getting used to because I'm used to the management console, but uh, yeah, it's once I once you're used to it, it's pretty cool. And I, you know, I use them with SQL Server. I use them with Postgres. I use them with uh, Oracle. Doing a big Oracle thing right now, and it just it works. Yeah, great. my quick and dirty is SQLite. So if I'm just trying to mm. mess with a single file and just massage it a bit, rather than pop it into Excel or something like that, I'll I'll uh, I'll toss it into a SQLite database because it's just a little file. Yeah, it's not very performant or anything, but it's quick and easy. Um, okay. What was it that you mentioned a minute ago that we were, oh, um, ARM. Oh yeah. ARM. Yeah. What does ARM stand for? Uh, I forgot. Yeah. I did too. <laughs> Processors, ARM, uh, advanced risk, risk something? machine, yeah. or it was also originally acorn risk machine. Interesting. Yeah. This, and <laughs> so of course, after I buy my New MacBook Pro, which has now been sent back, but I read the news of it. Okay, now, yeah, all these are all going to ARM now, and I'm and I'm thinking, oh, great, am I going to have to buy a new machine? And it's going to take a couple out? of years because well, first they got to get the applications compliant, and then they'll release them. But it'll be new tech that's probably it's it's going to be such an edge case that I think it's going to be. I think there's going to be some problems. Like I don't I don't want to buy the first ARM machine. Oh yeah, no, there will be problems. Um, well, let's properly introduce this. So, um, we expect Apple to. It's only leaks and rumors but they everyone seems confident about it but we expect apple to announce that essentially all macs are going will be will tr be transitioning to an arm platform mm -hmm. which is a totally different cpu architecture right. away from intel towards arm and they've been having problems with intel for it seems like 10 years but maybe it's not quite that long um but you know into every everything from delays to not being able to get their process down the the you know the size the process size um, yeah, because I think AMD is kicking their butt. Yeah, I mean, just Intel has just been kind of well, incompetent for a long time as well. So not only have they, mm -hmm. have they not been able to reduce the the size, they haven't been able to to get power consumption down. And there's been actually one person who's been seriously kicking ass, everyone's ass, when it comes to processors in terms of their performance and their power over the past five to ten years. You know who that is? Apple. Yes. <laughs> so they've gotten really good at this processor thing, and also you know they with the um, with iPhones and their A, A, A series of processors, I mean, those are systems on a chip. And so, you know, Apple's going to, with, with Macs, so if they go to ARM, I mean, they're going to be able to do a system on a chip and just get rid of a lot of the other components. They'll be built into the processor. So, you know, like the T2, which is separate right now, that's going to be built in, I'm sure. Um, any graphics processor will, will probably be built in. Um, they're, um, they have like the neural engine. That'll probably be built in, you know, the, to the system on a chip. 
And that's going to, again, that's going to probably make things cheaper. I don't know if, I mean, I'm not saying they're going to pass that on to me, <laughs> but <laughs> cheaper for them. But also, um, they're going to get way, you're going to get way better uh, power, uh, power efficiency out of, out of these, out of all machines. But particularly, you know, the laptops is where that's really, where that really matters. Yeah. Of course, you know, Apple will probably not uh, turn that into, you know, extended battery times. They'll probably, they'll probably, uh, knowing Apple, um, use that in order to shrink things, make things even thinner than what they already are, which I don't really care about at this point. Like, my laptop's thin enough. I'd rather have longer battery life. Yeah. <laughs> or, or the, you know, like user-replaceable RAM or something. But that's uh, that's ancient history. <laughs> that's that's never coming back. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how it all performs and what they do with, do with the ability to manufacture their own stuff. But I'm, I'm skeptical. I, I'm not sure that... I'm not sure that it'll hit the ground running. I know there's some some ARM laptops out there or some some machines, some Windows machines that are using ARM chips that aren't as fast. Um, we have mobile. They're already in our mobile devices, so like the phone and iPads and things. Um, so I don't know. We'll see if they translate, if, if they can be real powerhouses. Yeah. Um... I think I think long term this is gonna be great. My biggest concern since I've started hearing this rumor is is really that I do run a lot of um, I do a lot well not a lot but I, I mean a significant amount of virtualization just for my work mm-hmm. whether it's VMs or or Docker containers nowadays and I just don't know I know I know for certain that it's probably going to be a problem with any of the Microsoft stuff right SQL Server um, although it's interesting I wouldn't be surprised if App or if Microsoft really um, partnered with them, because Microsoft and it was running some things, and they, they're just, you know, they're desperate to see Windows on ARM succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, aren't, aren't some of their, mm-hmm. yeah? So this, I mean, at least from the Microsoft side, this, you know, it may it may be something that works, but I mean, it's been a negative, I think, because of the performance. But I think that's just because Windows is just so embedded in the x86 architecture that it, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what they're doing to translate everything over to the ARM chip to the ARM instruction set. And and do you remember what was the this might have been before you got into Max? I think I think the X eighty six instruction set had more magic, so to speak. It had far more functions than ARM. I think ARM was more was a more basics basics uh instruction set. Sorry, my head's hurting. Um and I think that was one of the reasons that they weren't all that compatible without a bunch of code. Yeah, I mean, because it's it's at the at the lowest level of these you know opcodes. I mean, they're they're different. Yeah. It's a different it's a different language. Um, yeah, there wasn't a lot of parity yeah. between them. I've I've read that um, over time the instruction set of ARM has has kind of converged to x86 somewhat, or maybe the other way around. But obviously, they're still way different enough that you you know you you don't only have to recompile everything, but you know, I mean, you know, if you ever looked at ever look at C code and um, all these, you know, conditionals, um, like, um, God, what are they called? Like direct directives or macros and all these different things, um, that are, they're all platform specific. I mean, you have to go update those all. If you want, if you want to support yet additional platform mm-hmm. and it's just, it's a lot of work and obviously, yeah. you know, it, this affects everything. So it's a massive effort. What was the, um, for, so for a while, uh, the Mac had a, after they switched to Intel, there was that, they had this like trend, like a runtime, what do you call it? Not translation layer, but, a Emulator, maybe I don't know what you call it, but maybe. that allowed you to run the the you know the year old PowerPC apps. Mm-hmm. 
I think for the longest time, like a lot of the Adobe stuff and these just, you know, really big software, they just stayed on car, uh, Carbon. I can't remember. Uh, the PowerPC. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, for quite a while. And so, you you know, you kind of had to use that Rosetta. Is it Rosetta? Is that what it was called? I don't remember, but yeah. I, I do remember what you're talking about. And that, yeah, they would run in that context, but it seems like in the last three or four years, all that's gone, I think. Or maybe not, since that's why you couldn't run Catalina. Well, and so I don't know what their strategy, I mean, we'll have to see what it's going to be, but they've, what's this thing they've had called Catalyst? Um, and, and also, you know, Swift UI has been, I think, part of the strategy. Uh, let's see. Swift UI? Yeah. You haven't been, you don't know anything about that? I don't think so. Um, so Swift UI, this is a consulting Wikipedia here, is a general purpose multi-paradigm compiled programming language developed by Apple oh, for okay. iOS, iPadOS, macOS, watchOS, tvOS, and Linux. I just never heard it called UI. I've always just heard it called no, no, Swift. It's, Swift is different than Swift UI. Oh, so Swift UI is, um, I think it's, all really, it's not just a language, it's also like a framework and things to, to be able to target all of like a all different for, um, form factors of devices so with a single code base. Okay. Um, yeah. What was what was the other thing I was looking at? Oh, Catalyst. Yeah. Uh, what is that? Catalyst is becoming very serious. Apple appears to be setting the table for something interesting in the introduction of Swift plugins for Mac and universal purchases for Mac and iOS. What was Catalyst? Uh, this may be something really old. Swift Playgrounds for, was built for Mac using Cat, Catalyst, which means you get many of the iPad features, but with useful Mac versions and enhancements, including Touch Bar Shortcut. Maybe I'm mixing these things up. Anyway, you know, they've was, had, was that the technology that they were they were saying that would you could run your iOS apps on Mac? It's something like that. I, th I, I don't know. I think we're, things seeing, are we're seeing that converge quite a bit more, and I think the whole ARM chipset thing is going to further that. I think we'll just they'll start to unify the OSs. I think, and we'll finally start to see one of them went out, which will probably be iOS. Catalyst is a bridge to the future for existing iPad apps, while Swift UI is the way to make new multi-platform apps. So whatever that means. Anyway, I mean, so I think if you like for all of these apps that have been built with Swift UI, so you know, a lot of the I think I think more on the iOS side, but a lot of these apps are built with Swift UI, and I bet you those will be, you know, ARM ready, so to speak. Probably you might have to recompile, you might have to, you know, for a new binary, but mm -hmm. all your source code will, you know, can compile to multiple targets. I would imagine. So I, I, I'm, you know, I'm sure they've been working on this from the software side for a while. Uh, let's see. Yeah, the supposed the rumor is they're going to transition their entire Mac product line. And we'll roll, roll out in 2021. But yeah, I saw a lot of, I was reading, just trying, trying to read through comments, I think on Ars Technica and some other sites, which usually get pretty decent comments. And there was a lot of concern from like the developer types who do a lot of virtualization on Macs. And now this is just like, well, if I can't, if I can't do, if I can't run Linux and Windows stuff, then it's, I have, I'm going to have to move to a different platform now. What would you do? Would you go back to Windows or would you consider Linux? I don't think anything I do wouldn't run on on the new stuff. I mean, if just if you if the Mac didn't work for you, if they just went away. Oh, if they just uh, when you're you're I'd a Windows probably guy. go back to Windows. Yeah, you're a Windows guy. 
I don't know that I'm. Uh, I don't know. I oh maybe. yeah, it was your first love. You'll you'll never. It always be special to you. I don't know that I ever loved it. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, I I don't know. I, I it always felt bloated for the longest time, and I always reinstalled it because I always hated just the artifacts that were left behind in the OS. I mean, it just no, it's still garbage. It's just I couldn't stand it, and then. And then trying to program for it and all the all the dependencies on the libraries and, and the whole installer trying to, I mean, I, I've used uh, pre-bought installers, but I've also wrote, wrote, written my own installers. It's and a mess. Man, if it's a yeah, pain in yeah, the ass. Yeah. Um, it's funny because, you know, like there's, of course, the, the, the hated registry or the Windows registry. Right? Yes. But, you know, so in the Linux world, um, historically, things have been really simple, like how you install something as a service, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. Like a, that would start up automatically and run in like a pr privileged state if you needed to. Um, but but Linux and Mac over the past, you know, five years, I guess, have switched. I mean, they, they've migrated to what's the new startup? They've moved from like the... Um, God, what, there's like like the init, the init D and like system system five or whatever to uh, what's the new one called, but it's much more kind of registry based. <laughs> mm. um, you know, now, like if you want to like remove something as a service, you have to like, do, you know, and on a Mac, you have to do like unload and then mention like a, this P list. You have to like a, a reference, a, like a, a P list file to get it to unload. And it, cause it, it kind of puts it in like this registry type thing. So it's, it's kind of looking more like a registry versus simple files on a disc. I like files I like text files on a disk. Yeah, I do too. It's simple. It works. You can, it makes it so easy to migrate machines. Yeah. I don't like fancy, weird binary databases of stuff that I can't easily analyze and work with and manipulate. Yeah. I, I don't. <laughs> That's like, what's this? What's the, what I say about Unix? Like everything is either a file or a process. Pretty much everything's a file or a process. Even like devices, they they look like files on the on the file system, like slash dev and so you got slash volumes or whatever slash mount. Hmm. I mean, everything is either a file or a process. It's pretty simple. Yeah, <laughs> that's why they can shrink it down and run it on your on just about anything. I guess, yeah. But yeah, my son, um, his birthday is actually today, and he wants he's been wanting Windows, so I bought a copy. Well, you know of why he wants Windows, Windows right? Oh, games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll still tell you Windows is garbage, though. But he wants to run games on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I guess we're gonna do the boot yeah, camp I mean, thing, people right? People spend five, ten grand on custom build machines and put Windows on it because they need to game. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean that's it is for depending on what your games. I mean, it very. I mean, know, there's really no nothing, hardly anything that'll run on Linux, and hardly anything that'll run on Mac. I mean, it's just if you're gonna game, it's gonna be Windows. I mean, there's a lot of games that run on on Macs, but yeah, I mean the. The the very the real serious, especially the stuff that requires you know like the five hundred dollar video cards. That's that's well, that's the problem is the driver support yeah. and just all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think there's less dependency on. Well, I'm not even sure anymore on some of the kind of what was it DirectX stuff. I don't even know if that's still a thing anymore. But I guess it depends on what engine you're using. But still, yeah. All right, John. Well, I have, there is a little bit of Salesforce news, kind of Salesforce related. I don't know if, I don't, I have no idea what your topics are. Um, but this, did, didn't we talk about this Snowflake company? They were in the news a couple weeks ago because of Salesforce. I don't think we talked about it. I mean, I remember seeing. 
Well, I talked about it with someone. I don't know if it was with you or someone else. But so there's this company called Snowflake, which, considering it's a data product, is super uh, confusing because AWS has a data product called Snowflake. (laughs) (laughs) But no, there's this company called Snowflake, and Salesforce is one of the big investors in it. And they announced a couple of weeks ago that they that Salesforce uh, has a partnership with, and they started a new partnership with Snowflake. And you can and there's like this Einstein out connector, I guess, which you can send all your Einstein data to Snowflake's cloud, mm. which is weird because I think I swear we talked about this because the I press release this press release was so self contradictory because it talked about having to break down silos. So I'm going to break down silos. We're going to take all of our Salesforce Einstein Snowflake. data and put it in Snowflake silo. <laughs> <laughs> we did not talk about it. We didn't. Wow. No. And then and then, then there's a whatever, they, the, the Einstein you know, import connector, I, I guess, from Snowflake. So you can take all your Snowflake data and bring it into Einstein. So I don't, it, I don't get that whole strategy. But well, that's nice. You get to push bi- millions of billions of data back and forth. That's, that's fun. Another thing weird about it is it just sounds like a, B, a big BI platform. And I'm like, well, I mean, Salesforce already has... Einstein Analytics, and they have Tableau now. So why are they partnering with Snow, an external company, Snowflake? Oh, wait. Salesforce is an investor in it. Oh, wait. Who's one of the big shareholders of Salesforce Ventures? Oh, yeah. Mark Benioff. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen this happen before. This is, this is a great gig. Yeah. Great gig. Yeah. Super good system. Some people just keep getting richer, right? <laughs> That's the way it works, man. Uh, um, let's see. When are we going to get rich, man? <sighs> I don't know. You got to, I have no idea, John. Keep doing this podcast. It's, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let's see a cloud. Okay. So Snowflake, they're a cloud data platform and they were just recently valued at $12 billion in their most recent funding round. Wow. Uh, yeah, here's the, so the native integration between the two, between Salesforce and Snowflake will allow organizations to easily, easily. It's easy, John. Nothing is hard anymore. No. Nothing's hard. No. It's all easy. Mm-hmm. Built doing 10 minutes. We'll, uh, be, we'll be George Jetson before we know and just have to click the button. <laughs> yes. we'll, we'll have to go get a beer and later because our boss made us press the button three times that day. You can easily unify and analyze all data in your Snowflake cloud platform and visualize it with business intelligence tools such as Tableau and Salesforce applications to, they didn't, notice they didn't mention uh, Einstein, uh, to reveal new insights about their businesses and customers. Uh, now more than ever, organizations face significant challenges such as local and global impacts of COVID-19 and their need to drive business recovery. To navigate such change, organizations require a single, rep- a single repository, although that's not what this is, for all their data. This includes how they, because, well, Einstein Analytics is a repository. They have their own repository. Mm-hmm. And now this thing is a, a repository. I mean, I get, I, I get it. You, you've integrated them and you can push data around between the two, but they're, aren't they still two separate repositories? I think they are, but I think it's just a, a matter of being more available. Joint Snowflake and Salesforce customers. I love how they call them joint customers. Like they're, it always makes them sound like a drug dealer to me. <laughs> they got, they get all their joint customers. <laughs> That's a lame one. Uh, joint, joint Snowflake and Salesforce customers will now be able to bring data from Salesforce into Snowflake platform in an easy and frictionless, easy for me to say, easy and frictionless way. Oh, you're going to go out and get right on that? Hey, how long before? I'm trying to figure out what the hook is, and I'm wondering if it's just because they, they might have trained lo- uh, machines already for that data, and that's what makes it I mean, the attractive. hook is it's, an, it's a Salesforce is a big investor in it. That's the <laughs> No, I just, I just mean, you know, 
what is Snowflake offering that Salesforce doesn't in their platforms? And I'm like I'm saying, I wonder if they've already got trained machines yeah. within that platform that can run the analytics against. Right. Could be. There are so many um, of these, you know, kind of, I guess they're not startup, but everything from startup to kind of more advanced stages um, around data. And it's all about analytics, really, but just how to get data, orchestrate it, transform it, process it, you know, stream it, all this stuff. It's crazy. And, and, and what's hot right now, like the stack of stuff that's hot right now, like a year from now will be totally different. Well, you got to figure out what the debt difference is going to be so you can be rich. Well, that there's a lot of people that are figure that continue to figure that out. <laughs> I feel like I'm past that point. Like I'm too old now. I'm not. I'm not a young twenty something who's you know hanging out in startups with stock options. Yeah. Well, I I figured out how to become a data scientist. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna do that. It was really easy. I just changed my title to data scientist. <laughs> Change my title uh, to Benny off. The big data scam is a huge scam. Oh, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, John. I don't know what you, we, we want to talk about. Is, is so a spring or is it spring twenty? What's the next? What's the release coming out? That's just seem everyone says is kind of a disaster. Summer is it summer twenty? I think it's summer. Why is it a disaster? Oh, I don't know. You tell me. I just I, weren't we just talking about that, and everyone's reporting all these. M- major problems with it yeah i don't know if it's if it's the spring or what because is, isn't some of this happening in production or is everyone getting this in their sandboxes either way i'm, I'm seeing a lot more gaks and everything um i'm also seeing kind of just weird oddities that i can't explain and i'm wondering if it's an os thing or not yeah and then also someone said i just kind of copied and pasted this because i thought it was an interesting quote um i won't say who it was but they said for better or worse i've set i have set personal and team-wide expectations that for the first two to three weeks of a after a quarterly upgrade we should expect breakage. Is that just is that where we're at now? Is that is that our mo for this for a Salesforce release? Yes, mm-hmm. it's gonna happen as it gets bigger, and as it gets more complicated, and as they just keep acquiring like non-native technologies, and then yeah, but those are bringing still... them under the hood, right? Doesn't well, that just make not, everything more really complicated? under the hood, though? I know they're not. Are it's they? it's the things that they are. But they are, because we have Customer 360 now, John. So they are under the hood. It's just a big hood. That's what Customer 360 is. No. Still just a circle of integrated apps. (laughs) Okay. Well, you're not getting on the marketing team, I can tell you that. No, no. They don't want me. I'd I'd be the Debbie Downer of the group. We're like, no, this is stupid. Well, I I should say before I forget, we should all thank John for showing up today because he's been dealing with a migraine today and he showed up to record anyway because he felt bad because we hadn't recorded in two weeks. It's very nice of you, John. We didn't record last week, so this would be week two. You're right. I said it's been two weeks. Okay. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like crap. (laughs) Well, uh, what what topics, what's on your mind? What do you want to go over? And we'll... Get through whatever we need to get through, and then we'll wrap it up. Oh, we can. I don't know that I had much. I mean, it's been a slow news week. Benioff, you know, was talking about people should have gotten masks from the government along with the... the Ten masks. <laughs> the money. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was kind of dumb. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it took him millions in a, in a consortium of a lot of different companies just to get the masks that he got for San Francisco, and we're supposed to do that nationwide. I just... Sometimes they say things because it sounds good, but they don't under, they, they don't consider the logistics of it all. You know what? Like, it's just that easy. Like, oh, why didn't you do that? It's so easy. You just do it. 
um, it's just things like that because there's so much of it going on. Not that I want to get into this because it's, it's kind of political, but there's so many people just saying things on social media because it sounds good. I'm like, it, but when you think about it logically, it just makes no sense. Oh, no, you have to not think about it logically. Yeah. That's where you lost right there. Yeah, yeah. so it's been a snow, 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 slow, <laughs> slow news week on, on a lot of different things. I mean, partnerships and things like that. I mean, that's I'm like, okay, well, yeah. that's, that's nice. Hmm. Um, I did have a few kind of observe observations that I wrote down. Not not sure if they're topics or anything, but they're just observations. Uh, Zoom etiquette. I think people are way too close to their cameras, and for people who have large monitors, it's very uncomfortable. You know what? Well, you feel like you sit too far away from yours. I can tell you that. Well, you know why? Because because there's people who have their 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 cameras like right on them, and it's like I'm being intimate with them. It's not. It's not like I'm sitting across a table talking to you. It's like I'm standing right here with you, like on the verge of kissing you, talking to you because you're so close. So I, my Super eyes start creepy. to look away. <laughs> so you'll notice Super I'm like creepy. looking down or looking away because I feel this. I feel way too much eye contact going on. <laughs> really creepy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so so my recommendation is back off from the camera a little bit. Do I sit too close to it? No, you're fine. Oh, okay, you're fine. I actually try to like frame my face properly. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're fine. There's okay. just some people like I'm just seeing all their face. Like I can see, I can see like depressions in their face and everything. I'm like, because <laughs> we got HD cameras. And <laughs> well, that's why you're supposed to turn on the smoothing setting in Zoom. Oh, okay. So okay. you know, okay. it kind of d air yeah dhds your yeah. Uh, your your camera. No, it's, it's just I'm, I'm weird. I just I'm not that sociable person well, so being too close to someone really, really really makes me uncomfortable the other thing is you know some people and i guess i don't know if they don't see themselves or what but you can see about from their eyebrows up like i can't even see your face and oh, no, the how better, do you not the see this? one is when they're using the laptop and it's angled so you're looking straight up their nose oh god <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh. the the whole well the sarah does oh that. and i she, love how how it, and even talking to clients like you know Used to when we did Zoom conferences, because it's not this isn't a new thing for consulting. You'd still have people that were dressed nice and they had collared shirts and everything. And now with clients, they're like in their PJs in their house. It's just Yeah. I mean, we I, went from business casual to just straight out pajama casual. I mean, I've always just pajama I wear, day. I just wear t shirts. It's like pajama day every day. Yeah. But work is still getting done. So, you know, what the whole saying dress 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 for success, that doesn't matter anymore, does it? I don't think dress for success has mattered in a long time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, you know, uh, there, there are people that still, uh, are calling into these zooms every day from home and are in full like garb, business garb. I mean, buttoned up, um, necktie, I jacket, the whole thing. People. I respect uh, I, I'm, I don't understand it at all. I'm like, wow. It, it, cause, cause it gets your mindset and, and you've, you've, your mindset is I'm working. And I'm being professional, and this is me. Uh, I don't have to wear a costume in order to do work. No, sorry, it doesn't make me. It doesn't. I don't have to trick myself into b- believing that I have a job that I have. <laughs> um. Well, John, I thought we had. I thought we held over some things for from last time. Did we? Well, yeah. I I, yeah. I held out a topic on some design patterns that I was kind of looking at, but honestly, I've gotten kind of busy and I haven't had a chance to really circle up with them. Um. I thought. Your challenge to me was something we could talk about, but I'm, I haven't really formulated too many thoughts on that. But the whole idea of trying to come up with a way to get everyone using source control, trying to see if we can use DX to, to, to 
kind of orchestrate some of that along with, say, Git actions and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting, and, but I see so many problems at the high level already. There's lots of problems. That's why that's why I like, asked you to do it for me. <laughs> like, yeah, how dumb do I how how much do I try to dumb it down? And if I dumb it down too much, I'm building a product, and I might as well just sell it because. <laughs> I mean, I have to build all this kind of tooling and, and stuff because I can't depend on people knowing how to use command line or even just even using GitHub. I don't know that I can depend on that. And I even I even wonder these, these um, like Salesforce, I don't even know what you call them, Salesforce, like CI tools or whatever. You know, they, they a lot of them are, are Git-based. So like every different sandbox or, or environment you have that people are using is essentially like a different branch. And so people can, you know, with like a UI thing and say, okay, I want to merge my branch in now. But, and I get, you know, and for people who don't have Git skills, um, which Git has a significant learning curve. It's, I can't, um, honestly, I've tried, I've tried to teach like, you know, people that are not software engineers um, Git and it's, it usually fails. I still don't get it. <laughs> uh, so to speak. Um, and, and so I wonder on these tools, I mean, the, the thing is that, yeah, they, it makes a great demo, but what happens when there's a merge conflict or when there's not necessarily a merge conflict, but there's a, um, not like a textual merge conflict, but you have merged in incompatible things to the sales, to the Salesforce platform. You know, you've done things now. You've combined your stuff with other people's stuff in a way that does not work anymore. Um, and these systems account for some of that, but it, it's it all, man. It's 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 a really leaky abstraction, and it is. And that's that's just getting to the point where you can merge something. I mean, I'm I'm even stuck at the starting line, which is. Well, how do I how do I create these environments? You know, how do I distribute the environments? How do I say we have this in production environment and we need to create a UAT environment and we need to create a config environment? We need to create X number of dev and, environments. And what's that workflow look like? What's the process look like? Do you do you have to go? Th- you know, does w- in order to get a like a um, you know a, a change like a, a commit or a set of commits mm-hmm. approved for? Okay, we're ready for this to go in production. What does that staging and approval? workflow look like right you know do you just have like well there's i mean at minimum there's got to i'm assuming everything would be its own branch and you'd have a a series of pull requests then you'd have some kind of review and And also are they public branches like why it when you're if you're working and this is what i don't like about this because it 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 forces a get first of all it forces a branching model on you Mm -hmm. and in the in the model that they're forcing it i don't like which is everyone is pushing up their stuff as public branches it's it's doing it for them but you've got all these public branches that have gotten pushed up to your Git repository, mm-hmm. your shared Git repository. And I don't like that. I don't want you people to push up their commits to a public branch unless we actually are using a branching model for our workflow, meaning like we're going to have like a feature branch or something. And I don't even right. like that model. I mean, I've, I'm really gone to pretty much the um, feature flag model. Like every, basically, you just check, you're, everyone, everyone's checking stuff into master and master is what gets deployed. And if you check it into master, it's, in, it's basically it's going into production. And it's more, and because it, it, I like the continuous flow model, you know, Kanban model. Let's forget these long running, uh, really error prone uh, branching model. You know, Git flow now is super uncool. That if you've ever looked in, if you ever used the Git flow, don't say that. Convention. I love Git flow. And I, hey, I, I there's it. a special place in my heart for Git flow, but it's, it is, it, we don't need that anymore. It's, it's unnecessarily, unnecessarily complex. And it comes from, I think a previous era where we had, you know, these really big sprints, and I just don't think that model works well in cloud. I mean, it, the you don't the the 
what you, I, I guess the reason that you needed to break things up into sprints um, and have kind of big releases, that we don't, we don't have those constraints anymore. It's so easy to deploy. Computers are essentially, you know, super cheap and you can, and you, and in a, and if you and you roll forward, you know you don't. There's the you know, the idea of rolling back is that's also ancient history. So you really need just a simple, you know, you don't need a branching model. Just a simple, everyone works on master, and you you know, I mean, you might have you know, you well, might have branches and things for pull requests if you want to have like a pull request. I mean, uh, still, model. I think there's still the need for the concept of having a you're you're kind of in work and you're uh, well. What am I trying to say? You need a way to. Ha- be able to patch or hotfix something on its own branch, put a shit into master, and deploy that without deploying a bunch of other stuff that's not ready yet. I get well, what you're saying. It's feature if it, flagged. If you I push know, it up to master and, it's not, and you don't want people to use it, then it's feature flagged. I know, but I, that just that just seems so troublesome to me. Oh well, I mean that's like all of the big engineering teams. That's what that's what people are doing now. I know, but I'm coming at this from the concept of trying to dumb it down. I mean, you're talking. You're, you're basically well, it kind of is dumbed down. You're, you're, Imagine getting a Salesforce admin advanced features, advanced Git, trying to. Feature. No, it's not. A, it's not advanced. It's actually simplifying Git big time. It's like it's it's so much simpler. I guess. I mean, you just you don't. If you're but just you're thinking that gets solved with one commit that you can flag, and I'm saying it doesn't. I'm saying a series of commits, unless you flatten them out and and flag that right. No, I don't think you. I don't think you're. Maybe you're not getting what I'm saying by like by like feature flagging. Okay, maybe. Um, not. When you are working on a feature, until you want people to see it, it it just doesn't get shown because it's not enabled. It's in the code. It's in the code base. Are you saying it's in your local local? But no, it's not in no. master. It is in master, and it's getting compiled, built, and shipped, and in production. It's just not visible to anyone. Oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, that's gross. It's not gross, John. <laughs> it's called modern software engineering. That's what, especially in a cloud, in a cloud world. The pro, you, you can't do that with Salesforce. I'm sorry. Well, that's a whole other, that's a whole other argument, well, which I'm I have, some, which I have some sympathy for. I know, I know. There are things you can't undeploy. There are things you can't undo. And there are things that you can't do because they're not in metadata. Um, and, then, and then if I continue on on some of my pros and cons, mainly cons, I don't have a good way of flagging what the changes were, and I can't trust people to keep track of what they're changing in the system. They just forget, and they don't keep good logs. That's, so, well, so, that's why the so DX might solve well, they that, but they do keep good logs because the only way to get changes in is through Git. That's the only way to get changes in. No, no, no. Or we're, else we're they talking just about having okay. a, an environment for say config, and they go and they do their point and clicky crap. Mm-hmm. And they, you can have three environments for a config. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, but how do you know what's changed? Because you. Do an SFDX pull and it pulls down all your changes. Mm-mm. Yes. So the problem is DX treats sandbox environments differently from a. Who said it was a sandbox? Well, and, and sandboxes have it, time limits, so now also, you're dealing with 30 day time limits or yeah, recreating the environment. Right. So D- so DX about, supports metadata, and I did this before DX existed. Where no, I know where when you when someone was ready to share, share their changes, I would do a pull, full metadata pull from their sandbox against whatever um you know head they were on and i then i immediately can do a get diff and get status and i can see what they've done or whatever and choose you know add it commit it push it up mm-hmm. what doesn't work about that that's how you figure out what they changed so to speak well there's the issue that we use a lot of managed packages and we modify 
things on managed packages, and those don't automatically get included in the pool. You have to specifically say, pull down these things from this custom object that's not in my namespace. So that it's there's a lot of nuance there in areas where it just starts to break. And the more you dig into it, the more you find those edge cases. So it's not like a simple plan of yep. run the pool, nope. put it, put it, find well, the changes, put it in and do a merge and all that kind of stuff. There's right. just things where it starts to break apart and you, you start wondering how far do I go down this rabbit hole before I say, I, yeah, no, then this is all like Salesforce accidental complexity. It's all right. Salesforce weirdness that you don't have in other environments that you got to deal with in a Salesforce environment. Yes. You're going to hit all kinds of problems. You're going to hit all kinds of metadata problems. Like, um, you might have perfectly fine metadata, but when you push it against an org, it turns out that you actually have to separate it into two different batches first. One to like enable a feature, and then the, the next one you can actually send the config for the feature because the metadata system can't handle you sending them both at the same time. So that again, that gets back to like there's no there's no build that you know is for sure you can apply to an org, right? Because it may not apply. And uh, yeah, and and Salesforce metadata is also not it's not declarative. It has to be somewhat imperative. You have to tell it, oh, remove this thing, rename this thing. You can't just give it the state of something and say, this is the state of the system now. Yeah. So there we are. We're still dealing with all that challenge. And that's, you know, not going to go anywhere. I mean. It's kind of unfortunate because, I mean, that's, I think, I mean, I say that. Would it's solve, easy, John. Ten minutes. It's easy. I'd say that would solve all the problems. <laughs> I mean, because, I mean, that's that's got to be a lot of the problems with, I mean, because you're, what do you key off of? Like, like we had this problem with workflow where you couldn't deploy workflow because it would store the actual user ID, I think, in the workflow. Oh, yeah. Or, or, yeah. It, or, and also, like, things like queues, like, like people's email addresses and, and yeah. things. And some things require, like, hard-coded, like, user IDs and or email addresses. if you created that in the sandbox, not in production, and it wasn't a refresh, those IDs wouldn't match. So yep. it wouldn't let you deploy it. I mean, you had all those kind of weird things. So what it, I've done for that kind of stuff in the past is part of the part of the deployment tooling would would you know, go through like, like, um, uh, what are the, like XML transforms to actually look for stuff like that and remove it or replace it with things. Yeah. And actually some of the times on some of the areas, what, what we actually stored and get is, um, we would like templatize the, the metadata. So we'd put like, um, like placeholders and then the deployment system actually would, when you, if you're depending on what deployment environment you were sending it to, it would replace, it would look at these files for replaceholders and simply, simply filter them and replace these, you know, placeholders with actual values that are valid for that environment. Yeah. But I wonder if, I mean, it's, I just wonder if that points to it not being as, it's nothing like an application at all hmm. in, in terms of deployment, because okay. you can't just flash it over with new bits. No. Everything, it, it's, it's so intertwined with data. It's, I mean, we're not talking just code or just metadata, we're talking data as well. And that's what makes it three times more complex. Yep. Yeah, you're right. Well, because, exactly. Um, but Because, to, to be fair, like, when I compare Salesforce to, like, other systems that can do this, you have to separate out the the database, if there's a database, and the schema and everything, because those typically are imperative. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm, if I'm doing like schema migrations on a Java app or something, usually you actually bake those migrations into the source code as well, because 
they have to be applied to the database. Right. And you have to know what state the database is in. This is this, and then this is where again to, have, to be fair to Salesforce, a fair discussion. They're dealing with both of those, like the code, the application itself, and also the data and the schema. And schemas, yeah, they're typically you're applying sets of changes to them, and they have to be applied in order. You have to know what state the database is in, and then you know if it's seven migrations behind or something, you have to apply the most recent seven migrations in chronological order. Right. So it's not just like a dump and here's the state. It's, you know, but again, with, with, I guess with Salesforce, the tricky thing, you're right. It's, it's all, it's all rolled into one big ball. <laughs> so it is. And you, you would think with some of the tooling that you might be able to accomplish some of that and you kind of can, but because it's not separate, because it's so intertwined and everything has to, that whole package has to qualify before even any of your scripts can run. There's just no opportunity to, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because, I mean, you do get the kind of post-deployment script that it can run, but that's post-deployment. It's not like I can say, I'm about to start my install, run these activities to clean everything up or to migrate things over, then apply the application changes, then do this. There's no opportunity for that. Well, and even if you could like have like a, um, like as a part of a migration, you know, uh, you know we're going to run, the, we're going to do this data, we're going to do a data or schema migration. So the you know, first thing we need to do is we need to, Know, create a new table, and then we're going to split this other table into these two other tables because we're, you know, we're normalizing our data more, maybe, or something like that. And the thing is, if that fails, then what you do traditionally is like, oh shit, that failed. Roll it back now. You roll the roll the database back, or just you know, put the put the previous copy online, or something like that. I mean, there's techniques for that. And that's just the thing in the one of these things in the Salesforce world that you you don't get. If it fails, then yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, you, you know, and, it, and unfortunately, it it puts you in a situation where people want you to do these things like at night on the weekends because the tooling around them is so it's so dangerous to do these things. Well, it is. That's the other thing. The thing about it is, we're integrating into someone else's application. We're one part of it. You know, whatever whatever we're installing, whatever we're doing, whatever customizations we're doing, that we're technically modifying someone else's system. Yeah, it's not like we're an isolated application that we're installing installing onto an OS somewhere. And whatever we change, it only affects our application. We're affecting everything else. And think of think of ISVs that with their new versions that roll out, they I guess can do migrations too, right? Mm. I mean, like, can you have like a, a post upgrade script? Like, so you upgrade your you know your managed package, and then it runs some script that does stuff. You can, but okay. your application it installs the application first, and then runs your script. Right. So everything has to be able to install oh. within that old state yeah. and then the my, the data and everything gets yeah. trued up after the fact. But you know, so you've got, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of, of customers that are running these things in their own orgs and you have no you don't even know have any visibility to when those are running or or you know, you might not have access to their environment. So you can't monitor them to make sure they're going well or they went well or fix them when they don't. It's just it's <laughs> but that's, that's a whole other. I mean, you ship a product and it's kind of out in the ether, and you don't know about problems until someone calls up. I mean, that's that's normal. It's just, it, yeah. It's but at least in that scenario, you still had control. You were still dealing with your own isolated application with your own isolated data and everything. It was just whatever problems happened, it affected just that. Yeah. But we had this kind of shared environment where so much data and and so many customizations are intertwined. You know, you never know when someone's going to do something that's going to impact your install, and there's really no way of replicating that. That's actually another problem that 
I used to frequently run into when I did have really automated. Um, I worked on a big uh, project, big project for a long time, and so I had set up this a lot of this automated um, all the version control. This is before you know, this is before the people that work at Salesforce discovered uh, source or version control is the source of truth. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us were doing it before then. Um, no, they did it. They did it internally. They didn't let but us plebeians. But they didn't. Yes, they, did, well, they, did, they didn't want their customers to think that was a thing they should do. Uh, except now, that's what they want you to do. It's kind of like, hey, wear masks. Don't wear masks. Oh, wait, wear masks again. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, ha- you know, had this automated system. Um, and the one of the problem we'd have was like you'd you'd pull down all the metadata, like to get your changes or whatever, mm-hmm. and you commit that in to version control, and everyone's great, and Q, you know, the, everything goes to a QA environment. Great, that passed. Boom, we'll deploy to production. Deploy to, deploy to pr- production failed because the, maybe a managed package we had installed, those always get sent to sandboxes first. And so our sandbox would have a newer version of the managed package than what's in production. It's not even available in production yet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a problem. Yep. I still don't know how to solve that. Solve that. I, I don't know. You're telling me you sent me on an impossible task here. <laughs> yeah. A fool's errand. <laughs> no, it's it's a fun problem to solve. It's 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 not really though, because it's all accidental complexity. It's not it's not a fun problem. Yeah, but you learn things along the way, and while it's not perfect, you you kind of you gain some experience in, in the in the exercise itself. Yeah. Although I, I that if might... I thought it was fun, I would have kept it for myself, John. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it is. I, I'm I'm. Joking. It is a fun problem. I mean, I had fun when I did last time I did this. And things are a lot better than they were three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's better, there's options for us now. There's, Mm -hmm. there's ways to do things. Um, Well, DX wasn't a thing. All right. So that's a thing now. But it's, it's, it, it, you, you, you hear about these new things and you feel like it, it, you finally have an answer to a problem, but then you realize it's, it only answers like 25% of your problems. Yes, and then causes eight other problems. <laughs> yeah. Hey, did you get signed up for Trailhead DX? I did. Okay. Yeah. When is that? This month? Later this month, right? Later this month, yeah. yeah. I hope it's different than than that last thing they did that I couldn't get into because it was some weird product. They they should have just streamed it on YouTube or Twitch or something because this weird, like, it had like a lobby with like people and chat things. Yeah. It tried to be like a, like a VR type <sighs> thing. Yeah. Um, kind of like what we talked about, except I was thinking far more advanced, where you actually walked around and talked to people, not yeah, not not this weird faux GIF images of people just <laughs> repetitive doing the same thing over and over and trying to get into a room that only allowed like twenty people in it or something like that. I guess they want to keep it reasonable, you know. Well, it's a challenge. I mean, to to have to host that many people on a live service, but there's there's people doing it yeah. on YouTube. There's People doing it on Twitch. I mean, there's so I didn't I didn't tune in for that event, but I I've been I think I did a uh, Red Hat event a few months ago, and they had some similar thing, and I did not like it. Yeah, it's dumb. But I actually had a problem just figuring out how to get to the main talk that I was trying to watch. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of that whole design trend where everything had to look. What was it? Um, what was it called? Skeuomorphic design. Oh, okay. Yeah. Where everything, you know, because <laughs> it would be more accessible to people. It'd feel more natural if, if it looked like this. and But it, it just ends up being so inefficient. And and it doesn't even provide you the, the same same type of context that made analog valuable. 
and so it's just like this 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 very bad dressing on on it that's unnecessary. Who was the guy at Apple that was just Mister Skeuomorphism? Was it? Um, oh, uh, it wasn't Johnny I right? No, or, it was a Scott Forstall. I'm trying. He wrote Human Interface Design. I'm trying to remember what his uh, his name is. Oh, Raskin. Yeah, Raskin. Oh, okay. Yeah. Really, I didn't. I didn't know it went about that far back. That was probably one of the first books where, I, as reading it, I disagreed with the author so much, but I still. You still learned a lot, though. I still learned a lot, but I really disagreed. Like he didn't. He 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 did not agree, and he advocated against the idea of modes in software. So context modes or hidden modes and things like that. But it just it just was something I didn't agree with. I I, I think context contextual actions and things are, are extremely valuable and for proficient pro users it, it was it was a great thing but he he just was against it all you had to see it or you didn't um, yeah but there are some things about it like that i did a did did kind of agree with how confusing it is for something to disappear like i think he used a lot of microsoft stuff like if you weren't on a certain screen that had a certain feature that feature would disappear rather than disable and mm. he advocated that you should disable it instead of making it disappear. Cause otherwise you feel like something's wrong with the application or it's broken or it's too, too modal almost. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there are parts of it that was nice, but it, it was almost like it's, it's kind of like um, agile. Like you either do agile specifically as it says in the spec or you're not doing agile. He was kind of that way with, with the design aspect of it. You either, it's either analog to human to what we do in the real world mm -hmm. or it's not, and you're mm -hmm. not doing it type yeah. stuff. And that's where I kind of disagree with it. I mean, isn't that the joke? Like still to this day, you know, the save buttons will be like a floppy disk and no one that's younger than us yeah. knows what a floppy disk is. Pretty they don't much. even, and you ask them, well, what's that? What is that icon? They're like, Oh, that's the save icon. Or, yeah. if, or if you show them a floppy disk, they'd be like, Oh, that's weird. That's what my save buttons always look like. What is that thing? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, just the notion of a, of a desktop, yeah. And, and folders, they, I mean, the, the, the freaking labels for these things are still like manila folder with the tabs, little tab on it and everything. Yeah. I mean, come on. Like, have we, that's still, I mean, I guess it, hey, it's stood the test of time. Yeah. I mean, it was all devised <laughs> as a way to, for people to make it more accessible to people. I still call them directories. Do you? No. Okay. You call them folders? I guess I do. Yeah. I guess I interchange it. I guess if I'm command lining, I call them, I, I'm thinking directory in my head. I'm not thinking folder. Yeah. It hurts. It hurts. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Okay. I just, uh, yeah. I don't know. At least we got to record again. We don't want to go three weeks without recording. No, that would be bad. Yeah. Anyway. Um, we'll, we'll lose our, our spot on the most active podcast, right? Yeah. Oh, exactly. Well, John, thanks for joining me today. Sorry. Thanks for braving the, all the COVID and masking up and I did mask dealing up. with your headache. Hopefully that gets better. Cause yeah, uh, I think I got a migraine a few weeks ago for the first time. I don't think I've ever had a migraine before, but it hurt so bad. I just had to lay down and close my eyes cause I was feeling sick and mm -hmm. um, it was really bad. Anyway, I, I've, I've, I get them often enough that there's degrees, like there's some that I can handle, like this one I can handle, but there are times where I can't handle it and I'm, I'm in bed, lights off, eyes covered. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, dear listener, we have a uh, Slack 
Dyslack team is what they're called, I believe, uh, where we uh, discuss all sorts of fun things and Salesforce things and other other things, help each other out, tell jokes, whatever. And that uh, you can join, and you should join if you haven't already. And you do that uh, by going to gooddayserpodcast.com and clicking on community. And we have an email address. You can email us, info at gooddayserpodcast.com. You can send us show topics or ideas or questions. We always like reading those and discussing those things on the on the air. Um, other than that, share us on the socials. You leave us reviews, five stars, only five stars. We don't accept four or less. That's why we're not getting We reject, reviews. we reject all those. That's why we're not getting reviews. <laughs> yeah, because we've set the bar too high. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's lower it a bit. We filtered all of our reviews out. <laughs> Three and up is okay. Yeah. yeah. Let's let's start there. All right, John. Well, hopefully you'll be better next week. And to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.